Welcome to the Garbage Fire Podcast, a.k.a. MFKS Radio, on the airwaves style at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Kelsey and Megan, who have a too-many-books-not-enough-time problem. Garbage Fire Pod is all about being unironically passionate to the point that you would dive into the dumpster for the things that you love. Hey, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was just very, very smooth. Yay. Ah, you're like... Hello was so positive it like <laughs> my hair blew back. <laughs> it's like whoa, wasn't expecting this. Okay, uh, it's, it's because it is day I don't even know what of Christmas holidays, and I have very little stress in my life. <laughs> That's good. Like I have a paper that I have to finish by Thursday that I haven't started yet, but I know what I want to do, and it won't. It's only like fifteen hundred words, and so I'll just sit down and do it tomorrow. But um, it's not stressful to me. Oh, good, 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 good. You deserve it's, that. It's a reflect. It's a reflection on a thing I already wrote. So, like, I don't know how I can't do okay on it because it's my reflection. So I'm not stressed out about it at all. Gotcha. That's great. Yeah. How was your Christmas? Uh, it was actually really nice. I spent four days with my mom and dad. Um, mm-hmm. I went over there on Christmas Eve and I just came home yesterday. Um, and it was really nice just to like have some time hanging out with my folks. I was joking with them. I was like, man, 15 years ago, if someone had told me that my favorite thing to do is hang out with my mom and dad when I was 37, I would have told them they were crazy. <laughs> and did they appreciate that remark? <laughs> they did. They, they absolutely did. Cause like at the end of it all, like I get along really well with my folks and so it's not, like, I don't think for anyone, it's not really a burden for us to be spending time together like that. Right. Um, and, like, yeah, we, my mom usually goes a little bit crazy with Christmas and, like, buying things, and it's always a little bit stressful for my dad and I because, you know, it just is. Uh, this year, I made her a list. I was like, these are the things that I want. Here's a bunch of book titles. Um, also, please buy me an armchair for my reading room upstairs, which they did not. But anyway... <laughs> I was like, I'm going to shoot my shot and see what happens. And it <laughs> failed. Um, but, um, yeah, I got a bunch of books and a couple pairs of socks and, like, yeah, some useful things. They bought me a jar of pickles, which, like, only makes sense if you understand that I will eat a jar of pickles in a day. And so, like, I always am talking about how I'd never have any pickles. Um, so they bought me a jar of pickles and a jar of pickled asparagus. And I was like, oh, I'm sad for the rest of the holiday. Um, you know, stuff like that. It was very nice and, like, laid back and... Oh, good. Relaxing, yeah. That's excellent. And fortunately, because I live alone, in case anyone out there is like, you broke the rules, I did not break the rules. Uh, I went to one place with the same people, and that was it. Excellent. Yeah. How was yours? We follow the rules here. We do. Um... It was okay. I mean, it's very anticlimactic when, you know, I had all these grand plans of hosting family for first Christmas in new house, etc., etc., and everybody was really excited about, I don't know, listening to me puke because I'm pregnant. Like, everyone feels (laughs) like they're missing out on it, and I'm like, you want to take part? For sure. Can I transfer it over to you for a week? Um... But, so yeah, that was disappointing to have all those plans change, but it's been nice having 
my husband home. He hasn't been working a lot, and he's going crazy, but I'm loving it. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's just, it's different, right? Yeah. It's, It's not necessarily good. It's not necessarily bad. It's just different. One of the things I've noticed, too, looking at, like, what people are posting, you know, on on stuff. Like, I have not been, I'm not one of those people who has yet seen somebody that I follow on Instagram or, like, a person that I actually know in real life or whatever having the big holiday get-togethers and stuff, so I'm happy that, you know, somehow I've avoided those people in my life. Um, yeah. But what I've noticed, what I, I find really interesting, and I'm curious to know what's going to happen, like, next year. Uh-huh. Are people, like... Are people did people realize that yeah sure it was different, but it wasn't terrible so maybe this is how we should always do it or are people just gonna go like all out? No, I think they're gonna go buck wild. Like if even if the the effort that people put into their Christmas lights this year is any indication, mm-hmm. like I think it's gonna be insanity. But I just wonder if I think there's I think it's gonna be on both ends of the extreme. I don't think there's gonna be a lot of middle ground. I think for some people, they realize, like, this is a good way to get out of having to do some of those things that you don't normally want yes. to do. Yes. Like, a friend, I know a friend of mine, she's got two kids, and her husband's family all lives in southern Alberta, um, and his parents are split, and so, like, Christmas is just a big, like, disaster Shenanigans. of Shenanigans, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, her, his parents can't really be in the same room as each other ultimately so like last year if I remember correctly um, her mother-in-law was there for like from the 23rd to the 26th and then like her father-in-law and his wife came up on the 27th oh my god so there you know so Christmas ended up being like a 10 day affair because yeah because um, and so I I wonder like if if some of those things that people are going to be like you know what no we didn't do that and it worked fine, and so this is how we're going to do this, so that we don't have to, like, fight about stuff, or whatever. Or are they just going to go absolutely buck wild, and, like, everyone's going to be the Griswolds? Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll have to see. I think it's been, it's been positive in a way that I felt that my choices have been extremely respected by the people around me. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't feel that, like, people... Criti- I didn't have any of them, like, but it's Christmas, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been, like, okay, what are we doing? Are we all staying home? Great. Let's all stay home. Like, yeah. that's been uh, a huge relief. I think that's helped in the fact that, like, my husband and his brother are both in healthcare, so there's just different perspective t- toward right. the regulations and making sure that we follow them, but... Even just, like, talking to friends and other people, I've never felt judged or criticized for saying no to things. Well, and, and I think that that's ultimately, like, what what's important, right? Is that, like, yeah. we have to be respectful of how yeah, other people, other are, people's are, choices, are choosing yeah. to do this, ultimately. Because, you know, I mean, I think my life... My dad and I were talking about this the other day. Um... My life has not changed appreciably since mm-hmm. March. Mm-hmm. I don't get to go to choir. I don't get to go to trivia. And I ha- I've been to, like, two movies in theater since the spring, which is not normal. Usually, like, that's the thing that I like to do. But for the most part, like, my life hasn't changed. I was going to ask you about that. Do you miss choir? I do. 
I didn't miss it, like, whatever, through the spring it was fine in summer, but, like, coming back in the fall and not having that to go back to. Yeah, I was thinking about that when it was, like, the 10th, and I was like, oh, I'd usually be going to Megan's Christmas concert. (laughs) Well, yeah, and we would have, like, sung at the legislature, and, yeah, there's all those, like, things, and so I miss that. I don't, but, I mean, we had an option this year, so the the group that I belong to sent out an email in, I don't know, mid-August, I guess, to see if people would be interested in somehow, like, doing, like, an online thing and, like, still doing online rehearsals and whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, overwhelmingly no. Yeah. Because the best part of it is that, like, camaraderie and... The social aspect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, sounds like a weird thing for me to say, but, I mean, I do enjoy it. I I just don't talk to very many people while I'm there. But, like, the people that I enjoy seeing, I'm, like, I'm very happy to be around them. Yeah, which is, which is, well, your group is also, like, what, a fucking hundred people? Like... Yeah, well, and there's, and and I mean, like, (laughs) yeah, Riva and I, like... Not so much anymore, but for a, a number of years, Reeve and I were, like, among the youngest people in the group. And mm. so, like, we brought the average age down a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And and so now there's some others that are, like, our age and, and a little bit younger, which is kind of nice. And that, that sort of is growing a bit. But the people that, like, we sit near and that we're, that we're close to are, like, old enough to be our moms. Mm-hmm basically right which is totally fine like there's nothing wrong with that but they are old enough to be our mothers um and so and in terms of like having a perspective in common might be a little bit more difficult in like a casual chat yeah well exactly (laughs) than someone your own age range Exactly. Even, like, plus or minus 15 years, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Our friend true. Mary, though, she is the only person that I know who's ever been kicked out of the bar at the Strat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> she's a super fun time. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember all of the details of that story, but... It, but it, 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 the details was, don't matter, Megan. Don't. <laughs> Those of you in Edmonton who listen to this and know the strat, you know exactly what we're talking about. Those of you that are not in Edmonton, just think of the bar in Roadhouse <laughs> and put some carpet on the floor. Oh, girl. And that's about it. Oh, why would a bar ever have garbage? I know, it was so bad. I was, it was funny. I remember going after the the smoking ban uh, in public places came into effect, which I think was in 2005. I remember going to the Strat, because we would go, because you could get cheap drinks. Um, after that, and it's the only place I've been since we stopped allowing smoking in public places, that I'm like, this place would be better with the stench of cigarettes as well. <laughs> To cover everything else? Yes. Oh my god. And also the haze of the smoke, so you just can't see the things that are on the floor and on the... It was, it was just such a disgusting place. Um, see, yeah. I always assume that about that bar that's, like, right across from Commonwealth. Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't... Yeah, I've been there. They have, like, some decent pizza, or they used to. Oh, do they? they? still do. I don't know if they still I do, don't know what I it's called. There. It just looks like a roadhouse type of situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it's just funny. Yeah, those are the things that like I do miss going to choir. I do miss seeing movies in theaters, which we're obviously going to talk about one here in a little bit. Um, but I also watched Soul yesterday. Okay, uh, we're gonna watch it this afternoon, so no spoilers. I won't. I won't spoil. It, but it would. I. I feel like. I mean, it was fine watching it. Whatever. I watched it at mom and dad's on on their TV, and it was fine. But it would have been a, a different experience, I think, in a theater. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's one of the things I think that I miss, right, is having those opportunities. But mm-hmm. other than that, like, my life hasn't changed. I still read a lot and do in school and I have a job and I don't socialize with people. <laughs> so it's fine. Everything's fine. I know. I think that's the thing that's the most frustrating is just having those choices taken away from you, right? Yes. Yeah, but... yeah, rather than, and I remember talking about this in the summertime um, with a friend of mine, and, and that's one of the things that I said. It was just like, what I would normally do, mm-hmm. you know, I'm teaching summer school or whatever, or and I was, obviously, I was uh, in a class and, and had some coursework that I had to look after and stuff, so I'd be, like, teaching summer school, and maybe instead of marking my stuff um, at home, maybe I would go to Starbucks. Yeah. And sit out on Starbucks patio. Or maybe I would go to a bar and just, like, get a drink and sit out on the patio and read some essays. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, I could do that. And I would I started just doing that at mom and dad's. But just, like, having an extra place to go. Yeah. Just a little bit of nice. a separation from work and home. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I have to deal with the fact that I'm now technically a quote-unquote vulnerable persons. Oh. So... That's great. I just try not to leave the house at all now, which sucks. <laughs> hey, at least your house is bigger and you have a backyard. That's true, but you just you just don't want to see how bored I am. And then <laughs> I'm on Amazon, and then I'm on <laughs> any website in which I can purchase things. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But I understand. Um, yeah. Overall... So- we don't have much to complain about. No, and at the end, and that's the thing, like, I need to remember, right, is that, like, there mm-hmm. are days where this is very difficult. I'm very fortunate that for Christmas I got to spend time with my folks mm-hmm. um, because I live by myself. That's And that's why I got to, right, because I live alone. Um, and so they're part of my, like, little bubble that I'm allowed to have contacts with people, and so they're they're part of that. Um, and then I just went and I stayed at their house. I didn't leave their house for four days, uh, which was fine. I read a bunch of books and just like watched hockey and, uh, but I was very, very fortunate. And now, yeah, I get to go back to work next week. Like, yes, very, very fortunate. Absolutely. Speaking of books. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. I've got five I need to tell you Okay. Let's hear it. I'm ready. Okay, two I'm going to be extremely critical about, but the other three were enjoyable. Okay, I read, I hope you're going to be happy, two nonfiction books this month. (laughs) I'm very proud of you. The Spy and the Traitor was extremely good by Ben McIntyre. Highly recommend. It's about um, this dude, Oleg Gordievsky, who is a KGB agent who worked for MI6. Okay. Super, super interesting um, just to, like, hear from the people directly involved as to how espionage happened in the Cold War. Like, what what specifically were their methods and what types of things were they sharing? And, like, how did they logistically manage that in their lives every single day? So that was fascinating. Also extremely funny because his first posting was to... Amsterdam, and he just can't believe how free everyone is, so he goes to a shop and buys some gay porn magazines just to have them, because it's like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was super, super funny, and there's just, like, those culture shock moments in there that 
and make it super interesting to read. So recommend that. Don't recommend Ada's Algorithm by James Essinger about Ada Lovelace, who, oh man, Ada's fine. I have no problems with Ada. I have a huge problem with this book because it was framed essentially not about Ada, but about every other male in her life and how they relate to Ada. Oh, that's super great. And especially like Charles Babbage, who is like her mentor and who she wrote all the like logistical analysis and stuff like that about the potential of computers and computation like mechanical computation and it was really really frustrating to read this book that's titled Ada's Algorithm and I would say 1% of the book is actually about her Ooh, that is really frustrating. So I don't recommend that. I also don't recommend Raise the Titanic by Clive Cussler. Why would you read a Clive Cussler book? <sighs> because <laughs> I I was trying to treat myself because I was so proud of reading nonfiction. Um, I mentioned this to you. This book was written in 75 and postulated how the hell... You could find the Titanic and also raise it from the ocean. And it's so 1975 in its views of women in the workplace. Okay. That I would like to read to you an expert that I screenshot on December 6th. Okay. You've been holding on to this for a while. Yes. Okay, I'm ready. Hit me. So one of the characters is a um, PhD... And it essentially becomes the press mouthpiece for this attempt to raise the Titanic. And at a press conference, she is asked this question. What defense mechanisms you have personally developed for competing on a day-to-day basis in a profession dominated by egotistic male pigheads? That's the question. Okay. Her answer. First... I find the defense mechanism is hardly necessary. My masculine colleagues respect my intelligence enough to accept my opinions. I don't have to go braless or spread my legs to get their attention. Second, I prefer standing on my own home ground and competing with members of my own sex. Not a strange stance when you consider the fact that out of 540 scientists on staff, 114 are women. Not a good stat. A third, the only pigheads it's been my misfortune to meet during my life have not been men, but rather the female of the species. Oh. This is what Clive Cussler thinks about women. <laughs> that they have always been respected in the workplace because of their great brains. And instead of fighting for respect actually fight with each other so that's great for women in 1975 Mm -hmm. i'll also say that every single female character in this book is sexualized in a way in which it made me literally uncomfortable and i'd have to skip paragraphs to read because they wouldn't even have speaking parts it would be a waitress at a 
restaurant scene where the book happened to be taking place and the man in this scene would be fantasizing about what underwear she was wearing. Oh my god. Not relevant to the book whatsoever or the plot or anything. No, it's true. (sighs) So that super sucked. Two more good ones. The Girl from Widow Hills, which I think I sent to you. Um a fascinating thriller, like psychological thriller, had no clue what was going to happen next. This girl um, changes her name and relocates to a different state in the U.S. because when she was younger, she became famous for, like, essentially the equivalent of, like, Lucy fell down the well. Okay. And there is this mental block in her brain where she has repressed it so much that she actually doesn't remember a lot and there's a lot of shit in that book about what do we forcibly forget and why and how does that impact us in the future and I really recommend it because it was like unpredictable absolutely unpredictable in terms of an unreliable narrator that one's right at the top and finally, Good to know. let's talk about the things we carried. Or sorry, they carried. Oh, yes, let's. I'm so proud of you. Because I finished it. Overall, I really liked it. I like his writing. I like how it was a war narrative that really wasn't about the logistics of war and the dates and the chronology and... You know, we were here on this day, we participated in this offensive, and blah, 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 blah. It was obviously about how the Vietnam War affected the people in it. Mm-hmm. I was really interested what your take is on the truthfulness of this book. So, I teach usually three of the stories. Um, not all at the same time, because that's too much. But I'll do the things they carried... I'll do On the Rainy River, and I'll do Sweetheart of the Song Trabon. Um, yeah, which one was that one? That's what, I can't, oh, what's the girl, and she, like, ends up going into the jungle, and, like... Mary Sue. Mary, yeah, yeah, and she comes, yeah. Okay, yeah. yes. Okay, that's what I thought your third one would be. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's also partially just because of the length, right? Yes. Like, it, 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 there's enough there that we can kind of dive into it, but I always do the things they carried, regardless of which of the other ones I've, I've picked. Um mm-hmm. But there's a little short one in there called Good Form, where yes. he talks about the truth of all of the the things that are in the book. Mm-hmm. And what's important, I think, is that there's a person named Tim O'Brien from Minnesota, went to college in Minnesota, went to fight in Vietnam, came back, became a writer. That's a real mm-hmm. person, which is mm-hmm. also sort of the fictional path of Tim as well. But the fictional Tim... And the real Tim are not the same person. Yes. And I think that that's the important thing to remember, is that there are certain things that happened in real Tim's life that he's put into the book, and there are certain people, and I would imagine that there are people... um, I get the impression that the people that he talks about, especially in the things they carried, are actual people that he fought with. Yes, I get that impression as well. Um, because that's, if you listen, and especially if you listen to the audiobook, I never read the dedications and stuff, but listening to the audiobook, because it's read by Brian Cranston, so it's a very worthwhile listen. Um, 
it just sounds to me like they're real people. So I always start with reading good form. Mm -hmm. with my kids because it's like a page long it's really really easy to get into and then we talk Mm -hmm. about the reliability of narrators we talk about you know the reliability of memory and like Mm -hmm. okay I want you to think about a thing you did yesterday what are all the details and think about something you did a month ago and think about like all this kind of stuff and we talk about you know what happens to our memories as we get older and and more things fill up those spaces and whatnot and then we read the things they carried we'll read on and especially it works really well with on the rainy river um Because the lodge that he talks about in the story is not a real place. Mm-hmm. And has never been a real place. But that doesn't mean that parts of that story aren't true. And so we talk about whether or not it matters. And my kids generally come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter what's true and what's not. One of my kids this year said, it doesn't matter if he's telling the truth or if he's lying. He's like, what's important is how the reader feels after learning about the, the story. Yes, which is exactly what Tim himself reflects on in like war is not moral war is not black or white it's all about the experience that it leaves you with as a person and human being yeah so i think like there are definitely there are definitely elements of truth in Mm -hmm. all of the things i think that that go on in that book um but i think I think the veracity of some of those claims is irrelevant, especially because of the prose and because of how well written it all is. Yeah. And that's when, to me, like, I don't notice what might be true and what might, what might not be true because he's such a good writer. Yeah, I, I agree. And he's also very open throughout the book because it doesn't really follow any chronological pattern whatsoever. Um, he, like, talks about and has conversations with people who are long dead in the middle of the book from mm-hmm. beforehand. But what I found really interesting was how he's writing this at least 20 years on, because he has that story about when he went with his daughter, mm-hmm. and they wanted to find where um, Kiawa was lost, essentially, under a shit field. Mm-hmm. And how... I don't know how to articulate this. How he himself is almost unsure of what to remember. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if even he can trust his own memories of it because he was so obviously it was so chaotic and it was so he was so angry most of the time like the book has a very kind of it's extremely reflective but it's also very resentful I would say towards him being drafted and all of that shit but my question for you is like why why like he talks about like you said, like the, what is the point of truth? Why would he write a book about his own experiences and not tell the truth? Because, well, so this is the thing, and it's funny that you, that you mentioned that, because the course that I took that I finished here in the fall um, was about writing life histories, and one of the sections was about the difference between, like, autobiography and memoir. Yeah. And this, I mean... 
often obviously there are things that are highly fictionalized and whatnot in this book, but it reads a lot more like a memoir than it does anything else. Yes. Um, and I think, I think why you don't tell the whole truth or tell the absolute truth is because I think that even at the point, because it's rooted enough in reality, I think that at the point that he's writing and, and telling the story, I think that some of those absolute truths are still too much mm. for people. Right, like, and when, he, like, when going back to what he talks about in good form, when he, his daughter asks whether he killed anybody, he can yeah. tell the truth and say he did, and tell the truth and say he didn't. Yes. Um, and I think that's a really important thing, because he's, I think, in that, in that sense, he's acknowledging his role in, and sort of like the, his complicity in what happened, mm-hmm. but maybe isn't quite ready to face the ultimate truth about that right right and so i think to himself or for others i think both because i think in order i think that kind of truth you have to accept it for yourself before you can Mm -hmm. force other people to accept it for you yeah and so i've always found that to be really a really interesting discussion and so i talk with with my kids when we're when we're reading these stories like does it matter and for the most part they say it doesn't matter if it's not all true mm-hmm. which I find really interesting and, the, and one of my kids because um, I've taught it with like dash ones before but the dash twos I think are, do a little bit better with the things they carried because it's a little bit more concrete mm-hmm. and I'm, I always say to them I was like so why do we not tell the whole truth and you know kids will be like because you might hurt someone's feelings mm-hmm. or maybe because they're not ready to hear the whole truth Mm-hmm. Or maybe you don't want to get in the middle of something, so you leave out the part that's the hardest part to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, or whatever it happens to be. And, and it's always really interesting to hear, you know, what it is they have to say. Uh, and so then we talk with the things they carried specifically about whether or not um, Jimmy Cross was truly in love with Martha. Yeah, no. Or whether he's just in love with the idea of her. Yes. Um, and there. They all agree that he's just in love with the idea of her. And then this year, actually, one of my one of the boys in my class is, yeah, but maybe it's just the idea, but it's a nice thing to hold on to. And I was like, huh. Okay. There we go. There yeah. we go. And then I, I his phrasing was interesting, of course, because he was talking about holding on to something. And I was like, so what's he carrying then? And they yes, were just like, ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> And you see 30 light bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was just, it, no one's ever, in, in my classes, ever articulated it that way before. Mm-hmm. That it's mm-hmm. just, re- regardless of whether or not she loves him or he loves her or whatever, that it's just nice for him to have a little bit of hope, ultimately. It seems for him that it's... It's almost like a toxic thing that he's holding. Like... It seems to torture him. Oh, it absolutely does. And but so, it's not a good distraction from, obviously, the torturing he's doing to himself fighting in a war. Like, no, it's not at all. And it's interesting because in that bit where he's got the photograph of, of her and he can, like, see the shadow of the person who took the photo. Mm-hmm. And his mind immediately jumps to just, like, some other dude, right? And that's, you know, yeah. she's probably his boyfriend. One of my kids is like, what if it's just one of her friends? And maybe he's, I like, know. he's gone crazy over nothing. And I was like, you are absolutely correct. Yeah, that seems right. 
that he could very well be projecting. Yes, of course. Or Martha could very well be a lesbian. That's what I think. Which a kid that when I was teaching at another school a number of years ago that he that was he couldn't he couldn't find the evidence really to back it up, but he was convinced that that's what was happening. There's some because when he finally goes and like talks to her and he tells her like, "Oh, that day after the movie theater, I thought about just like kissing you and like lifting you up and barging into your apartment and just like making love to you right there. And her response is like, ugh, why must men do this? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, Jimmy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, poor, poor guy. But I find it really interesting that at the end of the things they carried at the end of the story, he destroys all of the photos of her, but he hangs on to that pebble. Mm-hmm. So I'm when Kelsey was reading, she mentioned that she was doing this, and I was like, I could write a two thousand word essay on the use of the word "the" at the very end of "On the Rainy River." Um, yeah, because it is fascinating. I could also probably talk about that pebble for like a solid thousand words, because oh, I sure. I find it to be such an interesting, like enchanted object. Mm-hmm. For him, and it's it's something. Just like all the other things that they mention they carry, it's something tangible and intangible all at once. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's a fascinating book. A really fascinating book. I'm glad that you finally bullied me into it, which is to say (laughs) I had to wait 12 weeks for it on the library app to come to me. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's really, really good. And I, I really like using the audiobook in class. And Brian Cranston's reading of it is phenomenal. Um, oh, I can only imagine. It's so amazing. So I, I never read it out loud anymore because it doesn't, it doesn't do this, the work justice, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Except I do get a kick out of reading uh, when he fell flat fuck down. I, I get a kick <laughs> out of reading that because the kids get a kick out of me saying it. Um, yes. But it's just, it by him, by the audiobook doing the work, then there's no, like, pausing because we just sort of carry on. Um, right. But yeah, you just if, absorb and go on. Yeah, but if if you haven't read it, if you're interested at all in like any kind of war stories that aren't really necessarily war stories, um, it's really really well done. It is. Um, my last question for you, like, remains about the truthfulness of it because it seems that he has a lot of anger in on Rainy River when he's talking about his cowardice of not being able to face his family and his community of how he ran away from war mm-hmm. and how they it seems like the wider community is all rah-rah for this military conflict to happen and yet they don't know two shits about anything about it mm-hmm. so why why fictionalize this narrative so much then? You know what I mean? Like, it seems like that's a huge juxtaposition of intent of him saying, I want these people to know what the emotional experience is really like because they don't have a fucking clue, but also I don't feel comfortable saying everything. Well, and I think it goes, the whole idea that that sort of, like, that blind patriotism, I guess, if you yeah. want to call it that. I think I think he feels finally that um, 
he can tell the story, but he can't tell the whole story because then mm-hmm. it forces all of these people who in that scene where he like sees them, you know, at, at the parade. Yeah. Right. Where he like flashes forward and sees them all at this parade. Um, I think he realizes he can't tell them um, how he really felt because that last line where he says, you know, I was a coward. I went to the war. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows as he's doing it and as he's writing it that all he has to do is just keep going over the border and just never return and everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, in terms of his, like, moral and ethical compass. But he also, I think, understands that as much as he, as an individual, has these particular feelings, that the community that helped raise him is on the opposite end of that spectrum. Right. And I think he's more concerned. I don't know how well it, it deals with this, but I think he's much more um, concerned about, like, what him deserting will do to his family. Yes. So one of the assignments I, always, I give my kids is always to get them to write a letter to his parents from him after he's crossed the border. Oh, that's so they have such to, a good idea. So they have to go back through uh, through the story and, like, find all those little things all those little pieces that would suggest like what, you know, what are the pros and cons of the decision and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I always get some really, really interesting things. Um, And often it, they often start with, uh, start and end with an apology. Yes. Like, I'm sorry to have to tell you this this way, but this is what I've done. And, you know, once, um, you know, I can let you know where I'll be, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And I'm sorry that I disappointed you is sort of the, the, the tack that it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. And I always find that really interesting that they pick up on that. Um, because they don't always pick up on that kind of stuff. But it's a good letter because it's essentially the idea is to convince... Um, is to convince, convince yourself. Well, convince, but also to convince <laughs> his parents that he's done the right thing. Yeah, true. And to make them understand why he's made the choice. Mm-hmm. Which is not an easy thing to do because at the end of the story, of course he was a coward yeah Um, and i think because he went to the war yes and i think that in his you know 21 or 22 year old mind he's still so worried about what people think of him yeah that it prevents him from making the choice to not go it's a fascinating book it really really is he's written some other really good stuff too but i think this is his best work which is funny because he talks about that in the book too. He's like, "Is this my best work? How do I deal with that?" <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. what I like best about his stuff is that, like, as much, he's a very accomplished writer and he's done a lot of really cool things and whatever. Um, but I think that I I enjoy the the self doubt that comes into yes. that because it feels yes, very yes, much yes. like it feels very much like what would happen if I ever wrote something that got published. I'd be like, "This is terrible. I do not know why anyone would read this." Yeah, especially because depending on what uh, what moment in his life or in his service he's talking about, he'll have like a prologue and an epilogue where the prologue's like, "Look, some shit's gonna go down up ahead, okay?" <laughs> and then the epilogue <laughs> is like, "I fucking told you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's really true. Anyway, so it's uh. It's good, and, and it's it's a really, it's a good read, and what I like about the structure of it is that it's not a novel, mm-hmm. and it's not a, f- like, it's not a full-length text, ultimately. 
Um, yeah. And so you can sit down and read it in pieces. Yeah, I did and- appreciate that because sometimes it would be like, oh, this chapter is 65 pages long. Oh, this one's four. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also you can and also you can skip around because I don't think, I mean, obviously it was published in that order for a particular reason but because the narrative matter, is not, the narrative's yeah. not linear you can just kind of i you can just kind of go i think it's important to read the first chapter first and then after yes. that you can just read the rest of it yeah totally um, do you believe that mary sue shit like do you personally believe it no even though rat told it to him who's telling it to us no i think how do you just like get your girlfriend into a war zone I don't think it was that difficult. Really? No, I don't think it was that hard at all. Nobody on a military plane was like, wait a minute, who are you? (laughs) In the 60s? Probably not. Well, yeah, I guess so. Whatever. Now, there's no way. But no, I, yeah, no, I think, I think that that's a, I think that there's, there's, there's something bigger there. And yeah. I don't know what it is. But I don't know if I want to know what it is, and so I don't... I try not to think too hard about it. It's almost... That one's almost like a ghost story. Kind of a little bit. A lot of them are ghost stories, but I think that one's, like, the best. Yeah. It's spooky, man. It is. It really, really is. Well, I'm really okay. glad you read it. Me too. And I feel like it's one of those books that you, like, you return to. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I have a copy at work that's, like, battered and bruised because it's got sticky notes and highlighting and, you know, stuff. Like, it's not a very big book, but, like, the the spine is still thin because you can't just expand the spine of a book. But the open end of the book is so fat because there are, like, post-it <laughs> notes and corners folded down. And I've just, like, gone through and there. Yeah, it's a disaster. Uh, it's very well worn, but then I have a nice clean copy here at home. Oh, good. Which, because I find when I read books like for school, and I'm trying to pick stuff out and remind myself of things, I don't mind rereading like my marked up copies. But if I yeah. just want to sit down and read something, I don't want to read a marked up copy. Agreed. 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 Yeah. Okay, let's talk okay. about a movie. Should we do it? Yeah. Should we do it? Yeah. Oh, Manzies, Megan. Where do we start talking about Wonder Woman 1984? Oh, yeah. Spoilers for the next while. Um, I, well, I made a bunch of notes as we went through, or as I went through Mm -hmm. and watched it. And it was just, like, little point form notes. Okay. Um, And I'm going to, here's my first three points. Tiny Diana, yes. Uh, Themyscira looks amazing, and we should go there. Uh-huh. And the cinematography and everything in that opening sequence was fucking astounding. It was gorgeous to watch. Absolutely gorgeous. And I loved, I totally agree, I loved Tiny Diana again. I liked that kind of framing for the story to kind of focus us, focus us and tell us what Diana is kind of struggling with. Mm-hmm. It becomes extremely clear later on what she has to do but I I appreciated that just like I did at the start of the first movie too where you get to like kind of center her somewhere that makes sense to her mm-hmm. 
and then see how she's dealing with that in whatever her present is. Yes. Yes. I yeah, and I like that we it, we got to because they they said it back when she was a kid. We got to see Antiope again. We got to see um mm-hmm. uh we got to see, what's her mother's name? I can't remember. Anyway, Connie Nielsen was back. So but it was nice to see them, right? Because yes. the way that the the last one obviously she left and was never going to be able to go home again. Yeah. So it was nice to be able to return to that setup. Yes. Um and that just utopia of yeah. all women. Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay, I have a question. Okay. The shopping mall immediately <laughs> yes. after. That's the same one from Stranger Things, yeah? I swear to God, Megan, it must be. Okay, because I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> it like, this must be. so familiar. It did. And, okay. like, obviously they did a paint job on the inside, but I was like... Okay, okay. This looks astoundingly bizarre. Yeah. Also, I didn't really like how campy that first scene was. I didn't like it either. The only good part about that first bit was the little girl in the glasses. And I wrote in my notes, I would die for the little girl in the glasses. (laughs) Me too. She she was so cute. I loved her so much. She was. And I loved how she was just like unaware of the danger she was in and more like, ooh wee, throw me around, catch me. Yeah, it was really cute. I was, yeah, I think there's some, overall I liked the movie. I think there was like some story problems that were really laggy, but I had a hell of a time watching it. Yeah, like I enjoyed it and I've read a bunch of stuff where it's like it's bad and it's clunky and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Aquaman also bad and clunky. Enjoyed it. It's Aquaman's fine. so bad and clunky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, the thing that I liked initially, um, the fashions. Yes, her I thought, hair. Oh, oh my ah. gosh, her hair was phenomenal. Um, the thing that I liked initially was this idea. That Diana met Steve Trevor like once upon 40 a time. Forty years ago. For for like two weeks. Six weeks. <laughs> and she has not moved on. No. <laughs> and it made me think about the whole like above average bit from the first one. Yeah. Which I could not stop thinking about. But anyway, <laughs> I was just like, oh no, this is incredible. Um However, I will say this. The thing, a thing that bothered me um, was at the end of the first Wonder Woman, I believe it's set after this, right? After 1984. Yeah, because she's working at the Louvre. Yes, and then she gets that photograph from Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine. Like, there's whatever it is, what it is. But it bothers me that in her apartment in this one, she's got all these mementos and photographs of him and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, because the implication was that it was like lost to time. Yes, and I don't like that. How that little piece was like retconned because I continuity matters, and that For is not sure. continuous. And I was annoyed by it. It would have been nice if it was just like the you know the clipping and his watch. And not necessarily like, yes, this weird shrine. Yeah, in it her, was a 
extremely 2000s apartment in 1984. Yeah, and also the thing about like her being who she is, there is no possible way that she is not hit on at every minute of every day by men and women alike. Like, mm-hmm. there just isn't. And I refuse to believe that there's no way to, like... You know what I mean? Like, she's just... She's just this, like, ethereal beauty like, walking down her. the street. And you're trying to tell me that in all of these years that she has lived... Um, she hasn't had any entanglements? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know our opinions about Chris Pine, Megan. It's true. It's true. Um... Before we get to that, because I think that that deserves some discussion, lots of my notes are about Steve Trevor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I remember saying out loud, those triceps! <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoyed Kristen Wiig's introduction. Me too. Like, it, she played it as if it was, like, an SNL sketch, mm-hmm. which I thought was perfect. That like awkward whatever, but I also think that Kristen Wiig is too pretty to be unnoticeable. Yeah, I think that was kind of the challenge with her costume at the start, because like even the hair, I was like, the hair is fine. Like, there's nothing about her other than her huge glasses that is just like she just looked like a woman from the eighties. She didn't look necessarily. Obviously, when you're standing next to Gal, you're gonna, there's gonna be a huge, a huge difference between standing next to a literal god. But in terms of just like fitting in with regular 1984 people, like she looked fine. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, she was just, yeah, I don't know. So I, I found that conceit to be a little bit, a little bit hard to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I did not enjoy. I don't get the appeal of Pedro Pascal. I don't... I, and I just, like, I don't understand what's happening in this part of the story. In terms... Like... Like, I get as it. As a character or well, as the an character actor? In, well, I just... I'm not, I don't really understand the appeal as an actor either, but I... The character... I was, thought he was phenomenal, Megan! Um, yeah, but he was just Donald Trump. But, but he wasn't! He wasn't! His motivation was not pure selfishness. It was all insecurity. I, yeah, I just, I don't know. The, that whole thing, I feel like, I feel like my biggest problem with the movie, before we get to, like, the really good stuff, I guess, is that they didn't need to have two villains. They could have just set it up with one. And maybe, because, like, in the comics and whatever, Cheetah is, like, her biggest mm-hmm. nemesis. And I feel like they did it a disservice by ending that so quickly. So quickly. Mm-hmm. It would have been much better if they had spent this movie, like, working together against him. Right. And then maybe the next one she's part of the thing, you know? Like, that, and then she transitions into the the villain somehow. Well, I know in the next one they want to, which has already been greenlit, which is great, they want to, like, bring her to the modern, modern times. So, I don't know if because Cheetah wished for what she wished for that she's also slightly immortal, but... Yeah, maybe. 
there's some logistical problems there. I agree that there wasn't enough necessarily connection between Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig's character. Mm-hmm. Like, she assists him kind of in a lateral way. <laughs> Like, the only reason that she helps is because she's happy with what she has and she doesn't want Diana to destroy him. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that she... Other than the... I don't know if they actually had sex, but whatever connection they have together is pretty tenuous. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I can't believe you didn't like Pedro Pascal. Oh, my God. No, I just... Uh, I don't know. When he's, like hugging his son at the end I was bawling yeah there were moments but I just I just I feel like they they tried to jam too much into this and well it's two and a half hours long yeah but they just jammed too much stuff into it and I felt like having her fight the the two of them was too much yeah um She barely fought him, though. I know, but it was... I don't know. That was one of my things. Uh, Two villains is too many. Agreed. It's the same problem. It is. I thought with Barbara, too. I thought what they should have done, which would have been just hilarious. You know, when she goes to the gym and she, like, realizes that she's way stronger than she thought. I wish they would have, like, done it better where she would have gone to, like, you know, to, like, lift the bar and just fucking flung it out a window. Yes. Like, worked so hard to lift it and just, like, like... like thrown it so that it would have hit and like knocked someone off a treadmill. I think that would have been hilarious. Yeah, just increase those comedy beats a little bit because like the last third of the movie is so dour. It really is. It really, really <laughs> in is. a good way. Like it's it's very. <laughs> oh man, it really taxed me. It did it well, really and one of the things me. too that like there wasn't enough about. Barbara for me to be mad about her being Cheetah. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't spend enough time on her character development for me to... Which is why that should have been, like, extended to the next film. Yeah. Okay, I can, I, I can feel you. Like, right? even like, that moment with her and her her friend who she brings food to, mm-hmm. that didn't even resonate, resonate that much when she said, like, mind your own business after she beats the shit out of the guy that tried to assault her. Like... Yeah, that wasn't necessarily as much of a heel turn as it felt it could be. No, no. And so I I felt like that was a little bit sloppy um, in that respect. But, like, I enjoyed watching it. It was fun, right? Like, it was just, it was, and I think one of the things that, that bothers me about what people are saying and are being so critical about it is, like, it was sort of the kind of dumb, campy fun that, like, superhero movies often were. Mm -hmm. And now, because I think it's, like, a female-centered superhero movie that's like well it can't be campy and fun yeah I have a feeling it's like that too but it's just it's ridiculous because essentially it's the same it's the same movie as the first one except she's showing Steve the future and not the other way around okay him him (laughs) being the fish out of water was just fucking incredible and I know that I'd already seen the bit about the trash can like in the trailer and it didn't make it less funny um, no, he's just so such good. a good actor. When they're doing the fashion montage and he's like, 
can we keep the shoes? And she's like, you can keep the shoes. And he's like, yes! <laughs> oh, man, that was so delightful. Yeah, it was. It was It was good. It was, And it, it was a nice callback to the fashion montage, like, yes. in the first one. Um, and I, one of my notes was Captain Fanny Pack forever. Because... Absolutely. <laughs> it was oh. so delightful. And I love, too, how when <laughs> they're in that random dude's apartment... Of whose body he's inhabiting? Question mark. Yeah. Um, he's like, "Wow, I can't believe this place. Have you ever seen a place this nice?" And she's like, "You know what? This is the nicest place you've ever been. You're right." Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it's so sarcastic, <laughs> and it's so funny to see her be just like, "Well, yep, yep." Um, there are nicer places, but I don't know if your teeny tiny brain can handle that right now. <laughs> I like when he's like laying there in bed and he's like, I've eaten Pop Tarts and had three pots of coffee. I'm just like, yes! Dude, calm down. <laughs> he's just like so fucking amped. Yeah, it was. I, and so, like, all of the, the. And I've read a couple reviews since I watched it or whatever, and all of the feedback is that the two of them are the best part of the movie. Absolutely. Which they absolutely 100% are. Their chemistry is so amazing. And they're so well written as little foils to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice, too, when she, when they're in Egypt for whatever the fuck reason. And he's just like, okay, what do we do? And she's like, don't worry, I got it. And he's like, cool. <laughs> she just gets out of the car and just starts running faster than the car. And he's like... All right. How do I help? All right. <laughs> I just love how he just accepts her for whatever she is, and is just like, okay, you go do your thing. I'm gonna yeah. punch a guy. Yeah. Well, and like, and that's one of the things that I was like, Steve Rogers, or Steve, Steve Trevor, sorry, is the ultimate wife guy. Like for sure. If yeah, he absolutely would be right because he's just like, yeah, this is. Th- th- I love this woman, and look how amazing she is. And she's incredible, and you should all know how incredible she is. Also, I love her. Like, that's just, that's his whole character. I know. It was so, it was so heartbreaking when they have that first reunion, and they're just, like, all they're saying for, like, I don't know, the next eight hours is, I love you so much. I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I wish, and unfortunately, and I think because they had to, there was, like, the stuff with Cheetah and then also the stuff with Max Lord, I feel like some of the, there could have been more of that, because one of the things that I wanted was just, like, ten more minutes of her just showing him things. Yes. And being like, this is how stuff works. Oh, the best part for me, and I literally, I had, like, a good 30-second laugh, was when... <laughs> They steal that plane. And she's like, oh, I forgot to tell you about Radar. And he's like, well, shit, Diana. (laughs) That made me laugh so fucking hard. Because I was like, see, this is a couple that loves each other. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It was. Yeah. No, that was really, really funny. That and it's funny, so and it's funny too. Like she goes, she's like, yeah. Well, like in her head, she's got this plan, right? She's like, we're gonna steal the plane, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. And I think because she's so caught up with him being there again, she like forgot about radar. Like you know, she forgot about it herself before she realized mm-hmm. that he also doesn't know about it. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, it's no. just delightful. It's yeah. just delightful. And also the flying through the fireworks thing, I thought was really really cool. Like it was pretty, but also like. I felt like it gave, like, this sort of sense of wonder to everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. And they um, both got to experience that wonder together. Yes. Rather than him just, like, walking through 1984 and being like, whoa, moving stairs? What? Yeah. Well, and all the, the escalator, he played that really well. I thought that was really funny. Where he was just, like, confused by the escalator there for a minute. Um, it's just sheer joy. Oh! And not knowing that the exercise bike was stationary. <laughs> that made Chris laugh for sure. Oh, that's so fun. And it was funny, too, when they were walking um, after they left that party. Mm-hmm. I was like, there was enough people out there. I was like, how are these people not all just, like, stopping and staring and looking at them? Yeah, at Gal's legs, first yeah. of all. Hello. But also just the two of them together. Like, how how were people not just, like, just wrapped? Yeah, totally. Totally, totally. So that was a, that was a mistake on someone's part. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm trying to think of other... I also think that, that those really two characterizations, like, those two characters... They just, because uh, I wrote here, I was like, I want a movie of them just being together and doing fun couple shit. And then also, I was just like, they would make a great buddy cop duo. But also, like, I want to see a montage of them, like, renovating a house. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. <laughs> and Diana just, like, helping him because he's struggling, like, to change the plumbing on a toilet. And she just rips the toilet out and throws it out the window. And he's like, oh, okay, we could do that too. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, they were, that was all good. I had, uh, the other thing that I said here too, um, it bothered me that she had to let him go again in order to save the world. Oh, see, I knew it from the start. Well, I knew it too. No, I, you could tell that was coming for sure because also yeah. like he wasn't in his own body and whatever, whatever. He'll also, he'll be back. I'm not concerned, but it just bothered me. Like it's a perfect example of a woman not needing a man or like a man like legitimately holding her back from being able to like do the things she's capable of. Mm-hmm. And so by letting him go, she's like able to do those things again. It just, I hated it because like she was just so deliriously happy when he was back. And, like, it's not, it's, yeah, I mean, you could tell telegraph it coming. It's not like it was hard to pick out. Um, and that, that speech that she gives him about, like, can't I just have one thing? Like, haven't I given enough of myself to everyone else in the public? Like, why can't I have this thing? Do you know what it made me feel? That The feeling that I had at that particular scene was the very same feeling I had when Joe was just like, but I'm so lonely. I know! Yes! And I, re- I was just yes. like, oh, fuck you, Patty Jenkins. <laughs> I know. It, was a, it really was a stab to the heart. And their, like, frantic goodbye scene, I couldn't... The rest of the day, if I... If my brain thought about it, I would burst into tears, Megan. Yeah. Like, it was so heartbreaking. I might cry now. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And I, I really appreciated that bit, though, because I think it, like, brought a, a measure of, I don't know, it, like, grounded that in some reality. Mm-hmm. And made her, as much as we know, she is, you know, she's not human and she's not whatever. Like, it, it gave us that feeling that, like, you know, as much as... 
everybody else sort of exists around her that like this is the thing she's been waiting for and now she just has to give it up Mm -hmm. in order to or even even like it's not necessarily that she was waiting for it but it was it was real you know like it wasn't just 70 years ago and like he told her he loved her before he blew up in a plane no they got to they got a little bit of time to be a normal couple even yeah. though they're, like, solving crimes and whatever the fuck, yeah. it was real. Yeah. And then in order for her to keep doing the thing that she's been doing, she has mm-hmm. to let that go again. Mm-hmm. And it just, yeah, it sucks. It sucks. It was, yeah, I... Fra- as soon as he, like, propped her up behind that building, yeah. I immediately knew it was happening, and I just started bawling, Megan. Mm-hmm. Like... Mm-hmm. ugly crying for the next, I don't know, 10 minutes. Like, while she's, like, listening to his advice on why he loves flight and all of that, and she's figuring it out for herself by listening mm-hmm. to him. I was just, like, gone. hmm It was gorgeous. hmm I know. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. What else did I have to say? Oh, yeah, it was just a lot of, like, man, he loves her so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does, like... And I think, I mean, for, for him, for him too, to, like, try and articulate where he's been, like, he wasn't really dead, but he was kind of dead, but, like, he doesn't really know where he was. And he, yeah, and he said, but it was nice. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't, wasn't good, it wasn't bad, but it was nice. And then I was here, and I was with you, and this is nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and I, I also, kind of stalked you to find out where <laughs> you live and work. Yeah, I also... And I wasn't going to say anything, but here I am. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I said, it was after... I think it was during the fashion show. Yeah, it must have been during the fashion show. Um, it was... He's like a himbo, but not that stupid. Um, and in a way, like, because he's just like that sort of childlike wonder at everything that he sees. And he's like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Also, look at my girlfriend, guys. She's amazing. Like, he's just got that, like sort of very genuine joy about being around. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And he, that's what I really appreciated is, like, as soon as he figured out that him being back was essentially slowly, like, killing her, he was just like, Tiana, you have to let me go. Like, I'm begging you, renounce your wish so that like he couldn't he couldn't possibly i think deal with the fact that his presence was harming her mm-hmm. and so yes. he'd rather sacrifice himself than see her hurt and i was just like god oh you're just the perfect man i know why because he's above average remember <sighs> above average maybe like fictional <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, he's, yeah, it, and I like that they did bring him back, because obviously you knew, like, they couldn't not, mm-hmm. but I was curious to know how it was going to happen. So, like, that whole weird thing where he's, like, inhabiting someone else's body, and then she, like, sees the dude afterwards. Didn't care. Didn't care. I, did, I didn't care either, and I, the only reason that it mattered is because he did look in the mirror and he had the other guy's face. Yeah. Which I think was important just as, for an audience to, like, know that, no, it's not actually Steve. Yeah, but we're going to see Steve because it's what Diana sees. Yes. 
Um, but then, yeah, so just the fact that then she sees the dude after the fact, mm-hmm. um, and he's wearing that outfit. I know, which that I was, was such a nice callback. Yeah, it was so good. It was so, so, so good. That was so sweet. And I really like that ending scene because at the start of the movie, she's so, she's so shut off to the world. Like, she's eating dinner by herself and she's just, like, very head down. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. a crime fighter, so she's keeping her eyes on things, but she's not, like, interacting with people. Mm-hmm. And at the end, she's, like, looking up at the snow and smiling and laughing, and it was just, like, such a nice change for mm-hmm. her to see her, like, taking some sort of pleasure out of this mission she's on. Well, yeah, and, and also that scene at the beginning when she goes for dinner and the waiter's like, are you waiting for someone? And she's like, no, like, I thought that they didn't really need to take all of the other things off the table. They could have just left them. Like, they could have just left it. It (laughs) seemed a bit rude. Because usually when you go to a restaurant alone and there's stuff on the table for a second person, they'll take it right when you sit down. Yeah, not when you're still looking at the menu and after your wine is there. Yeah. Anyway, but I thought that that waiter was, like, taking it away, like, not violently, but, you know, a little aggressively. Yeah. A little <laughs> judgmentally, to be honest. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Um, and I was I was annoyed by that, because I was like, I've eaten alone many times, and that's never happened to me. No. Um, I also really liked the her suit of armor. Yeah. That she put on, because I was I was like, I wonder how and why she gets it. And then, obviously, we found out, and so that was cool. Um, did you I, stay after the credits? I did. I did. Okay, I heard, good. I heard that I should, uh, and so I did. I thought that was really neat. I really enjoyed that. Call back to her, not, because I think Diana was worried that... <sighs> That she would have to give everything up, including her life, to stop him. Because mm-hmm. he was just, like, so powerful. Mm-hmm. And because the original Amazon was, you know, never found. She only found her armor. I think she was worried about, like, truly, truly not ever coming back. And for to know that that woman is still out there, I think is really neat. Yeah, I think that's cool, too. I think that's... And just a nice callback to original Wonder Woman, like yeah, and just to have her there and and be like yeah, this sort of this like continuation of the the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, on the whole, like I really enjoyed it. I would, I think it's a movie that would have been better served on a big screen. Yeah, for sure. Especially like the fight scenes in Egypt would have mm-hmm. been amazing on a big screen. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when I yelled, the triceps, when I was driving the car. It's true, those were some triceps. What is Um, up with his ability to wear a goddamn white t-shirt in a way that is so appealing sexually? (laughs) It's like, it's, it's very appealing and also very rude. Like, I don't know how he, I do not know how he has the audacity and yet here we are. Here we are. And there's yeah. something about the cuffs of the t-shirt mm-hmm. that they're never flat. And I just, it just boggles the mind. Chris Pine would work very well 
in a 1950s, like... Yeah, it was almost a greaser look. Crime movie? Like, do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I can see him being, like, a 1950s detective with, like, the hat. Oh, see, I was thinking more of, like, a street racer. Well, there's that, too. But, like, he could... But he just has that look, that very kind of, like, timeless... Mm-hmm. sort of look that fits into whatever. But yes, you're right. The the t-shirt, like, those 80s clothes I feel like just came out of his closet. It was ridiculous. Like, it's ridiculous how good he looks all the time. Did you also think, like, they did they tweak his eye color? Because at times I was like, whoa. This has got to be popped in some way. I don't know. I didn't notice. I was distracted by all the other things. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but no, you're right about the t-shirt thing. Like, I appreciate that that was the big wardrobe choice that they made for him was, like, a tracksuit. Yeah. <laughs> With a fanny pack. <laughs> Essentially. And those fucking squeaky shoes that we love so much. Yeah, it's true. But no, I think I think it was good, and I, I think it sets up enough for whatever's coming next, and I'm sure he'll be back, and, you know, that's fine. Um, because, oh. because the two of them are the best part of the movie. Yeah. They of the franchise. Like, just having um, the two of them together. Yeah. I think they give their best performances when they're together. Even though I really liked her monologue at the end when she's got the lasso of truth and she's, like, projecting to mm-hmm. the world to see the truth. I thought that was really nice, too, because it was so... I liked how withdrawn it was because mm-hmm. she was just hurting so badly. Yes. That it didn't have to be big, because all Pedro Pascal was was just big, 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 big. Yeah. 24-7. Yeah. Um, so I really liked her performance there, too. Yeah. yeah She's was, just great. She was, yeah, she was great. And I enjoyed it, and I want another one. So make it happen, please and thanks. Please and thanks. Well, it's been greenlit, so. Yep. Let's make it, let's make it so. Make um, it so. Yeah. So that's that. I do have a question about the movie that I oh. received. Just It's kind of along the lines of what we were talking about here. Comment was, Steve Trevor was the best part of the new movie, but bringing him back was also the weakest decision. Kind of undercut the first one. But he was also the best part. This isn't really a question. Nope, no, really I don't think it undercut the first one at all. It made the stakes of losing him again even huger. Yeah, because she needed, she needed something, because she doesn't, and that's the thing I think that they tried to establish, is she doesn't really have anything. There's no, nothing, and she's struggling nothing... with her motivation to keep yes. doing this. Yeah. And I, I assume, too, because of the fact that she doesn't age, she has mm-hmm. to move on fairly quickly from places, like, she can't stick around too long. Yeah. Because someone's going to notice if after 15 years she looks exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, like, she has to leave and start forming new attachments, or not forming new attachments, but find a new job and do all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think in sort of showcasing that, um, having him come back up to the stakes and made it important for her to essentially continue fighting. Yep, Absolutely. Because without it, she could just walk away. She could. And without any kind of... Any kind of real repercussions, ultimately. There's bad guys everywhere. Um, okay. Do you have anything more you want to say about the movie? Um, no, I'll just treasure it forever. Because, so here's the questions, then. 
because um, there's oh, it's about both MCU and about this one, and we'll start I guess with um, the MCU question because I feel like it, it matters here. But here's the question: Did Steve Rogers jeopardize the timeline by going back for Agent Carter? Jeopardize it? Yes, which I had the thought actually. I watched um, Winter Soldier last week I guess and uh, I had that thought because he was living in the building next to Sharon who's like Peggy's what great niece or whatever um, yeah. and I was just like I, I thought I remember thinking that at the end of Endgame when he like went back and they see like old old Steve sitting on the bench and I was like okay so he was he kind of had a little crush on his niece now is she still his niece I was very confused about that like weird little timeline thing so yeah, did he jeopardize the timeline by going back for her? I don't know, because she also says, like, she had so many secrets, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think Peggy was, you know, BFFs with Niece to begin with. Or shared everything with her, that's for sure. But who cares? No, fair, but then also the the question, I haven't watched the show either, so I wouldn't know the answer, but did Agent Carter not have at least a couple boyfriends along the way? And I mean, you have, like, maybe, I don't know. Or is it a classic Steve Trevor and Diana situation where she can't move on? Yeah, it's, who knows, who knows? And then the next next question here is, did Wonder Woman harvest any random D in between World War I and 1984? And, like, we were talking about it, and this question came in, like, while we were talking about it, and I just thought that was funny, because, like... That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. But it's also, like, it's not relevant. You know what I mean? Like, she has her one true love, and that's what's going to hurt her the whole time. I don't know if it matters. I don't know if it matters, but, like, it's a fair question. Because it's sort of more of a, it's a, a broader question, I think, about, like, how you exist in the world. Yeah. More than anything else, right? And and like and I guess because for with with Peggy, it's different because she's a human being, and she still is aging and like going through life. But also, Diana, she has a secret identity. Like, yes. As much as Peggy is still an agent of sorts, Diana literally has two lives. Yes. And so, her one and her one life is always secret and her other life is so mm-hmm. is mostly secret. Yeah. Because there are things about her her like regular quote unquote human life that she can't reveal to people and that's why she has to move around and like can't stay in one place and form real attachments because then people would she's not Dorian Gray, right? Like people wouldn't yeah, but also, like, she's always got that fucking suit on, so how is she going to have a one-night stand with a guy at some cultural anthropology conference, and he'll mm-hmm. be like, wait a minute, what the fuck are you wearing under this white shirt and skirt? Yeah, it's true. A Wonder no. Woman outfit? Yeah, which is, I guess, and I, I suppose that's one of the reasons why, like, her being reunited with Steve is so significant, because he knows that about her. Yeah. And she doesn't have to, like, explain it away somehow. No. And I liked that picture of... 
um, Steve's old assistant with her. On yes, a fairy. All oh, that was so sweet. Yeah, it was. It was nice that that she, it shows that she did was able to maintain ca- yeah. some kind of something with people who knew who knew yeah. her as she was. Um. Okay, so those are all of the questions about the movie. Just wanted to know if the thirty bucks was worth it, and I have to be honest, I didn't have to pay for it. So, I think so. If you're going to theater, you're gonna spend that anyway because the ticket's gonna be what sixteen, seventeen bucks. Yeah, and then and you're some gonna treats. spend at least ten on popcorn and a drink. Like it's the same. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I didn't. I ended up not having to pay for it, so it was fine. But I would have paid for it. Is the question. Um, what is your your favorite film score? Oh, this is from Jess. Yikes, that's tough. Well, I know what yours is. Do you? Yours is either Last of the Mohicans or Interstellar. Um, I was just going to say that my favorite, like, main title theme is definitely Last of the Mohicans, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, because it's so good. I really, really like the score from Braveheart, though. Oh. Like, as a complete... I used to listen to that all the time. Like, I would put it on before bed. And just, like, fall asleep to it. Yeah, I've done that in the past with, um, the Lord of the Rings ones, mm-hmm. just because they're, they're so lengthy, too, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... Yeah, the, the last of the Mohicans title theme, you're correct. And, yeah, the Interstellar one is, is right up there as well. I'd say that, or just, like, anything by John Williams. Like, who am I kidding? Fair enough. Do you have one? Yeah, I just said. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, no, I wasn't sure if I was like, yeah, I used to listen. I used to, like, fall asleep to that, too. Because I, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I really like the Braveheart one, too. Um, I'm just trying to think what else. And there's, like, little snippets. Um, there's, like, three instrumental tracks in the middle of The Lion King that I think are maybe the best, like, instrumental tracks in all of film. Um, mm. So, you know, it's all very subjective. Um, here's a question from Mike. Imagine a junior sports tournament in which Canada sends a team to another country during a pandemic just for the honor of getting blown away 16 nothing by the host country. That would be pretty crazy, right? <laughs> oh, God, don't get me started yeah. on all the sports, man. Yeah, the sports should not be happening. No. Uh, other question from Jess. If Tony Stark was a more balanced person, could all of Captain America's Civil War have been avoided? See, I'd say in that movie, he's the most balanced he's ever been because he's, like, attempting to rectify the mistakes that he's made. And he's trying to put limits on himself where they haven't been before. Mm-hmm. Like, he's never respected limits given to him by himself or others. So, I I feel like that movie is him actually trying to be stable. Mm-hmm. But at the, but it, I agree. But I think the the question asking like if he was generally more balanced like prior to those events, would they have avoided oh, all no. of that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, right for sure, like, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, Steve's he, so goddamn sanctimonious too. Like he really is. 
He really, really is. Steve only has rules. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. There are zero exceptions. Although, like I said, I was... I, I was watching Winter Soldier, um, and I forgot how much I liked it, because it's been a while since I've seen it, um, and I really liked the development of, like, his friendship with Natasha mm-hmm. through that. I think for both of them, like, he doesn't really have any friends, but really neither does she. Yeah. Um... They're, yeah, I... they're those people that, like, sit in comfortable silence together. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, play video games or whatever. Just, like, sit there and share space. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a question, and then I have the two, the one that you sent me, and then the one that I, like, added oh, to. Oh, no, it. I forgot I sent you a question. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I guess it's going to be a surprise for everybody. Uh, okay, so this is a question from uh, somebody that I work with. What are some of the first things you remember which made you want to emulate them? Like a book or a sports play or a song or a painting. Something where you where you saw it and you were like, I wish I could do that. I want to do that. I will tell you that it's not the first thing, but something that I decided I wanted to do was take pictures of the galaxy. Because I was looking at pictures on Instagram and I saw some and I was like, I bet I could learn how to do that. And then I looked up like what I what kind of equipment I needed to buy and I bought it and here we are. See, mine would be earlier because I became the reading junkie that I am now because of one little miss, Nancy Drew. Ooh. <laughs> Nancy Drew loves a good mystery and so do I. Which, like, leads to the true crime obsession and just the general, you know. Yep. Ennui. <laughs> of all things. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything for, like, when I was younger, I don't think. Um, I, I do lots of things out of spite. Oh, 100%. Yes, I have many answers for that question. And as challenges, but not necessarily that I want to emulate something. Yes. Like, when my dad knows every once in a while, if he says, he'll all be like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And he'll be like, oh, good luck. And, like, I'm just going to do it. Like, fuck you, dad. I got this. Yeah. Um, Oh, that was, like, the first three months of my pregnancy when people were like, oh, don't do this. Don't do this. And I was like, (laughs) I'm fucking putting up the Christmas lights myself, motherfuckers. (laughs) That sucked. (laughs) Not the Christmas lights, but people being like, oh, oh, no, you're fragile. Um, Yeah, so I do lots of things that way, but I don't know if I necessarily... And now, like, as as an adult, I don't want to emulate anyone at all. I'm just like, I'm just going to do my own thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Please and thanks. Uh, So the question that you sent me was, what album do you know back to front that would seem to be outside your music taste? Oh, yes! And in brackets, no musicals. Yes, right, right, right. I remember this because I was listening to it on my way to the animal shelter that one day. Okay, what's yours? Mine is the 1997 classic, Come On Over by Shania Twain. (laughs) Amazing. It's a great album, by the way. I know. Every song, back to front. And I hate country music. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is Eminem's Recovery. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. 
what I found when I was living in Dublin, um, I would listen to that when I would like walk places. Oh yeah, okay. Because mostly it was just a good pace to mm-hmm. walk to, um, but I just listened to it like over and over, and I walked a lot. I like the whole year that I lived in Dublin. Um, I think I took a city bus like three times, so like I just yeah, walked everywhere. Sure. So I listen. I got to know that album incredibly well. Um, my addition to that is, what song are you actually like legitimately ashamed to know all the words to? Ashamed, and it has nothing oh. to do with. It doesn't have to be from that album because mine is "Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue" by Toby Keith. <laughs> What would you say is the overall theme of that song, Megan? Um, Arabs are bad, American rules. <laughs> That's the theme of the song. And so the reason that I know the song in the first place is because when I started teaching, uh, one of the guys that I worked with, he would do uh, sort of like a comparison between sort of pop culture responses to particular things. Um, mm. And one of the things that he he talked about, which I thought was always really interesting, was how the Dixie Chicks, like, lost airplay for right. saying that they were ashamed that the president was from Texas. And then here's, like, Toby Keith with a song, and one of the lines is, we'll put a boot in your ass, it's the American way. Rough stuff. It's a horrifically offensive song. But, but I will say this, I don't, like, I have zero appreciation for the lyrics but mm-hmm. it's a fucking great country song like just the way that it's structured if it was about anything else it would be an absolute banger right but it's about bombing people into oblivion so it's not man that's yeah that one's rough i think mine is digital get down by nsync from the no strings attached album <laughs> Which is essentially about cyber sex. Not essentially. It is about cyber sex. And I knew all of those lyrics when I was 11 years old, Megan. Amazing. But again, change out the words to really anything else except maybe not what the Toby Keith song is about. And I think it'd be a banger. Yeah, well, and that's exactly it. So it was just funny because you sent me the question about the album and I was like, oh, I have a song one as well. Because <laughs> um, I'm not ashamed that I know any of those Eminem songs. Like, whatever it is, what it is. But it's just, if people were to, like, look through my musical library, that It'd is just not be something... Like, huh. That's not something <laughs> that you would expect to find. No. Um, in no. my musical In my musical library. Um, like, my Spotify right now is, like, <laughs> Dua Lipa, Lizzo, Haim, uh, Hozier, and then <laughs> fucking <laughs> come on over, Shania Twain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my Spotify uh, is just a mishmash of things. Because I use it, like, at work for stuff, and... Mm-hmm. So, like, different... I have some very different, like, purposes for the music on my Spotify. Um, but yeah, anyway, courtesy of Red, Red, and Blue, Toby Keith, don't listen to it, it's a terrible song. Um, but like, also listen to it and be horrified. 
is, is sort of where, where I'm at. Listen to it, look at the lyrics, but do not memorize it. No, that's <laughs> no. front. Yeah. And Experience also, it and move on. And also appreciate that it is like a perfect country song. That would be an absolute banger. If it wasn't If about, it were about anything else. If it wasn't about retaliation for something that maybe doesn't need retaliation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that reminds me, on Christmas Day, we had a a Zoom meetup with Chris's family, and we played Quiplash on Jackbox, and one of the questions was um, the three topics that perfectly encompass a country song, okay. and mine were <laughs> Tractor Missing, Tractor um, Cheated on Me, Tractor Married My Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like, take that concept, put it in the Toby Keith song, and mm-hmm. there's your perfect country song. It's true. It's true. Uh, and the thing with the Toby Keith song is because of that one song, um, I can't listen to any of his other stuff. Yeah, that's fair, though. It's very fair. It, and so that's why I wish that song with this its composition was mm-hmm. not about the thing that it's about. <laughs> Yeah, because you've been tainted now. Very much so. I um, love how country is so <laughs> negative for our <laughs> mental health. I guess. No, I I like country music, like generally speaking. But yeah, that one I'm I really can't I really can't get behind. And one of the things about that song, it, in it, he talks about how his uh, dad lost sight in one of his eyes for through his like military service. Uh, which I read later on was, like, a training exercise. Um, like an accident also, in, you're... like, the National Guard. Uh, anyway, it doesn't <laughs> matter. But it's not, near, not like, it, it, and, and not to minimize it, but I was also like, he didn't get his eye shot out in Vietnam. So yeah. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> like, he, he came away with his life, I think, in terms of, yeah, you know, the <laughs> imbalance of casualties in the two conflicts you are discussing. Yikes. Yeah. I feel like... I feel... I, feel I have to remember now. I feel like Toby Keith's dad never actually served. Like, he was never, he was never deployed, I should say. I feel like I read that somewhere. I felt like you were... You were taking your time with that because you didn't want to have to, like... Back up and <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm fine. And um, make some things right with the internet. <laughs> no, I just I'm I'm pretty sure that his father never was never deployed. That's my. That's well, my, all right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. Listen to that song, but uh, don't enjoy it. There's my advice. <laughs> and Did on we that do note, the dang thing. <laughs> Yeah, we did the dang thing. I don't have any more questions. Perfect. Um, you can find our things on the internet. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. Question mark. Question mark. There's an Instagram, there's a Twitter, and there's a website. None of which are updated frequently. No, but we do know... Lower your expectations. <laughs> yes, please do. Um, maybe sometime we will... You said you're going to watch Soul. Yes. Okay, so we'll talk about that next time. Yes, and hopefully also that book that you want to talk about is yes. one that you also graciously gifted to me. Yeah, there's another half of your present which is being delivered at some point in time. 
All right. I look forward to whenever that may be. Um, so as always, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in the dumpster.